City. John Grayson, Robert Ross with you once again. Episode 212 and a very special episode for a number of reasons, not the least of which is we just passed another anniversary day, Rob. Yes, we did. This is now our sixth anniversary. So imagine that you and I have been working together almost a decade. It'll be a full decade in August (laughs) when I first appeared on Overnight America. Counting the radio, yeah. And then starting this in February 2017. So... Go figure. Fantastic. And uh, and we're both still upright and taking nourishment after all these years. So. Well, speak for yourself. That's <laughs> what <laughs> so we got that going for us. Well, yeah, and, and actually that's what we're going to start off the program this time is to talk about all of the people so far that we have. I mean, we, we talked about this on the last episode, the fact that we were only two weeks into the year and had already lost a number of just top-level famous names, including Lisa Marie Presley. And boy, the month since then has been exactly. no shortage. And now here's here's just a quick recap for you folks because uh, you know on episode two, what was it two two eleven was the last one, yeah. Okay, so in the week when we did that show, we had lost um, Jeff Beck, which floored me, yep, and absolutely devastated me. Then David Crosby, and then Lisa Marie Presley, which there was just I, I, you know there was no words for that, and right after that. A week later, we lost Tom Verlaine of television, which, you know, it was bad enough losing Jeff back because he was, you know, ostensibly the only guitar hero I ever had, you know, from the time I was a teenager and first heard the Yardbirds. But Tom Verlaine's influence on me, I think, is pretty well known by everyone who knows me. And there's just no way to describe how powerful an impact television had when I first heard Marquee Moon. You know, I always thought... I'm a decent guitar player. If I can play see no evil right down to getting that guitar solo just right. And I've always been really proud of the fact that I couldn't. That's why I bought a a Fender Jaguar just so I could approximate it. (laughs) But we lose Tom Verlaine very suddenly. And, you know, no sooner than he's gone. I don't know if you caught this, but the first guitarist from the Yardbirds, Anthony Top Topham, passed away yes. also yep. he was you know unfortunately he's the probably the most forgotten in the history of the Yardbirds because he was the first guitarist but he left the band because he was 15 and the rest of the band were about two years older than him and his parents wanted him to go on to college and have an education and and you know get a job and he'd been sporadically in and out of music he'd also always suffered from ill health and unfortunately he he we lost him uh, at the end of January now we start off February uh, just today, we lost Richard Belzer. Yeah, Bells. Oh, tough one. Um, a couple of days ago, we lost well, – uh, this week, we lost two of the absolute goddesses of the screen. We lost Raquel Welch. Yeah. And then right on the heels of that, we got word that Stella Stevens died. And if you don't know who Stella Stevens was, you really need to do some serious research because she was one of the most devastatingly perfect beauties that ever walked the face of the earth. That's all there is to it. So was Raquel Welch for that matter. But yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and it was, uh, I mean, you talk about Richard Belzer. It's funny because I think we may have mentioned this before through the eighties, my wife led a very sheltered existence back then. You know, she was still in high school and, and her parents were, you know, anti just about everything. So her entertainment knowledge starts in 1990 where for you and me, it started when we were about four. (laughs) So uh, we were talking about this earlier today and she mentioned, she said, Oh, I didn't realize Richard Belzer was a stand-up comedian. (laughs) Whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Because her conception of him is the guy from law and order SVU, you know, and, and all of the acting that he did later on. 
But uh, you know, I can remember sitting there watching those HBO and Showtime young comedian specials, and uh, and watching Richard Belzer, who emceed a lot of those things, uh, and thought you know he was absolutely brilliant. That his stand up, that the idea of being deadpan and sort of curmudgeonly and yet incisively bitingly funny, that he sort of laid that trail. Um, I mean, there were others before him, but I think that, you know, he really just took it to a new level throughout the 1980s and then, you know, had an acting career after that. Not a bad run. Yeah, it's funny. My introduction to Richard Belzer was, I want to say around 1978, 79, when he was the co-host of the Morning Drive show on WNBC Radio. Right, here in Radio 2, yeah. Brink and Belzer. Scotty Brink and Richard Belzer. And so when he was doing... You know, stand up comedy on TV. I was like, wait a minute, that's the guy from Brink and Belzer. <laughs> Holy mud, you know? And yet, funnily enough, that's when I realized, oh, he's actually a stand up comic. Yeah. You know, that's when you start to put two, to, two and two together. And then all of a sudden, the next thing is I see him in Night Shift as one of the heavies. Right. Right. And throwing Henry Winkler out a window it, tied to a chair. Which, by the way, did by you? By the way, he was his cousin. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a little bit of family buisness going on there. But, yeah, I mean, just a really, really talented guy. And, and I mean, this has been a brutal month and a half. And, I mean, it's, it's hard to even think that that's all it's been is a month and a half. And yet here we are. Actually, we also forgot to – did we – I don't remember when it was. I think it was after we'd done the last show. Cindy Williams, the co-star of, of Laverne and Shirley, Shirley, also sure. passed away. I mean, we've just been losing people left, right, and center again. Yeah. You know, yeah. Tim McCarver, who was one of the great, apart from the fact that he was a great catcher and the battery made of the likes of Bob Gibson and then later on Steve Carlton when he was with the Phillies, was one of the all-time great uh, baseball broadcasters slash announcers. He did, I think, 17 years with the Mets. Um, just... Uh, top-notch, really funny, um, insightful, and he he never kowtowed to the networks either, which yeah. I always really liked about him. Yeah, well, and he was, I mean, there were so many great broadcasters at that time. I mean, he had Jack Buck and Vin Scully and Tim McCarver, and, and they all had an innate understanding that baseball, a baseball game is a story. And if you can't tell a story, if, if you can't make it real to the audience – you're going to be another mediocre baseball broadcaster. That the great ones are the ones who can make it come alive and make it real, and that that McCarver fits dead center into that territory. Absolutely. So, just I'm sure we've left out people that, that we're, we're overlooking, but yeah. the fact is, is that uh, you know these are the ones that really stood out the most, and especially in this last week. So, yep. yeah, wow. Anyway. So let's, from there, <laughs> so now, now that we've done the cheerful part of the show, yeah, right. let's do the post-mortem ta-da, on the Super Bowl, which I don't know. I, maybe it was just me, but it, it almost seemed anticlimactic because you knew that Kansas City was going to beat Philadelphia. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. I, you know, I, it was funny because I felt that way all through the entire week, right up until game day. And then game day, I started to have some doubts about it. And I thought, you know what? That defense, that Philadelphia defense is, is really good. And they're good in a way 
that the Chiefs are not good at stopping. But for some reason, I mean, the offensive line, just to give you a little inside baseball, <laughs> get it? <laughs> when we're talking about football, um, is that during the parade, they just had the parade for the Chiefs this past Wednesday. And of course, we sat and watched the entire thing and narrated a lot of it on the air. Uh, that the entire offensive line had made t shirts that said zero sacks because that's what they allowed during the game. And, and I mean, for them, they were dinged up. They didn't have a great year anyway. They had two guys who were down, and they still allowed zero sacks to one of the best defensive lines in football. I mean, th- if you want an MVP performance, granted, you know everybody knows that not only did uh, Patrick Mahomes win league MVP, he won the MVP of the game as well. But to me, it's that offensive line. Boy, did they they play a spectacular well, game. You know, I was concerned when they went off at halftime, and he's hobbling away. Yes. You know, thinking the worst. You know, it's like, Jesus. But... I mean, he just came out and that rifle came out with him. You know, that arm just nailed it every time. And that's the thing. I mean, I think that if you want to look at somebody in the coaching staff, and we'll talk more about one of the other members of that staff, but Andy Reid, I mean, I don't know anybody who makes better halftime adjustments than he does. They did not have a good first half, and they went in down. It was 14 to 10 or 17 to 10, and came out just on fire and put up 24 points in the second half. You put up 24 points in the second half of the Super Bowl, you're going to win a lot of those games. Yeah, I Philadelphia is now, let's see, they lost the Super Bowl, they lost the um, the MLS Cup championship, and they lost the World Series. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, the last thing about the Chiefs is that Eric Bieniemy. What what a what a stain on the NFL because Eric Bieniemy, longtime running back for the then San Diego Chargers, uh, and has had a, a pretty spectacular career as the offensive coordinator for a couple of other teams before and now for the Chiefs over these last couple of years, and has just done an outstanding job. And while the entire world is looking at the NFL going, look, most of your players are not white, okay? And most of your coaches are. And you can't tell me that there aren't talented uh, you know, black coaches out there who deserve a shot at running a team. And granted, the couple of, of black head coaches you know, that we've seen this past year didn't do terribly well. But you look at somebody like Eric Bieniemy and say, okay, how does he not get a head coaching job somewhere? And what just happened is he moved to Washington. He went from Kansas City to the Washington, whatever the hell they are now, the commanders or generals or something. Redskins. As, as Thank you. As their offensive coordinator. And I'm thinking, come on, what? if he can't get this job, nobody can. I mean, look at Tony Dungy, for Christ's sake. Yeah, right. You know, he won a Super Bowl. Right. End exactly. story. And really, well, oh, wait, what about, did, I, I, you know, I mean, did Mike Tomlin win one as a uh, Steelers. Yes. Yes, he right? did. Uh, okay. At least one. Because um, right, Roethlisberger was. was they yeah. Beat, yeah, they beat Seattle. They beat the Seahawks. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but doesn't everybody beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl? So wait, the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, though. But who did they win against? Uh, Is it against uh, the Boston Patriots? Uh, Might have been. Was that one of Brady's losses? I hope so. <laughs> he should lose more. And that was the other thing. Yeah, he finally retired again, supposedly permanently. Yeah. Sure, yeah. whatever. Until until Giselle makes another uh, you know complaint against him. Exactly. Need a couple of more million. Ugh. God have mercy on us. Well, spring training has begun. Obviously, not officially where games are being played, but pitchers, catchers, and players have reported they are all in Florida and in uh, Arizona right now. Yep. 
The Mets have all reported, but uh, more importantly, and dare I say laughably, uh, first day of spring training in the Texas Rangers report that Jacob deGrom is, of course, sidelined by <laughs> hip soreness or tightness or whatever it is. It's like, and... Right. Of course he is. Met fans have seen this play, movie, read this story how many years in a row now. None of us were phased by it. The general consensus amongst every Met fan is, and? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, I mean, we know what they're going to be in for. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'll start getting excited about baseball at some point. I'm watching a little bit of hockey right now, just trying to get over the NFL hangover. But uh, until they start playing games in spring training, I'm probably not going to be much up for it. I've been having a lot of fun with the Rangers, who unfortunately had their seven-game winning streak snapped last night when they lost in overtime to the uh, to the Atlanta Flames. Notice I'm doing <laughs> yes, this, I'm doing this the of right course. You know, look, that's two nights in a row that the Rangers came down from behind. They were down within the first minute of last night's game, 2-0. Came back, tied it. Bad call by the referee. Artemi, Artemi Panarin should not have gotten the penalty. Rather, the, the Calgary player should have gotten it. But they gave it to Calgary. Calgary won it just on a power play. But regardless, the night before that, the Rangers are down 4-1. to one at the end of the first period against the uh, the Alberta Oilers uh -huh. of the WHA. And slowly but surely, they come back, tie the game, and win it in the shootout, which was very sweet for revenge for the fact that they let a 3-0 lead get away from them against the Oilers back in October. So, you know, turnabout being fair play. Yeah. But the Rangers are actually damned entertaining. And yes, I know that they got... Um, What's his name from the St. Louis Blues? Because the Blues have been basically um, dismantling the team. They traded yeah. Ryan O'Reilly, what, two days ago? Yeah, O'Reilly went to, to Toronto, Toronto and, and Tarasenko's Senko the one that went ended to the up, Rangers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ended up in New York. Yeah, so good news there. I mean, uh, Vladdy's still got plenty left in the tank. He's a very talented player, and I think he's got a, at least a few good years left in him. I want to say one minute and 30 seconds in his first shift with the Rangers, he scored a goal. There you go. <laughs> Bingo. Last night he scored, I think. I think it was the tying goal too in the second in the third period. Yeah, either, well, is he, either he got them on the board first, or he, he scored. No, he scored the first goal. It was uh, Alexei Lafreniere who scored the tying goal, and who was the hero the night before in, in uh, Edmonton. Meanwhile, I've been watching my Sabres do the exact opposite. I was <laughs> getting ready to turn on a game the other night, and I had come in about halfway through, um, and I, I didn't even stick around because I had seen that they, they put up two goals in the first period. They were up 2 nothing. I can't even remember who they were playing. And by the time that I got there, midway through the second period, it, they were already trailing 4-2. to two. And I think you guys gave up four goals in the first eight minutes of the second period. What are you even doing? And that's that's been kind of the pattern for them lately, is that they'll they'll come out to an early lead and then just go, well, I guess we won the game. We can go home now. And and then, you know, they'll end up just giving that's up That's what the Rangers goals. were doing at the beginning of the, beginning of the season. You know, it was like... You'd get these three, four goal leads and it would evaporate. You know, they would disappear in the third period. That yep. was the short version of it. And it was really irritating, baffling, and 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 just disheartening. Yeah. You know? Well, in that game, by the way, the Sabres ended up losing seven to two. So, like I said, after those first two goals in the first period, they literally went to sleep, just gone. They need to get a, a goalie. They definitely need goaltending. For and, sure. Uh, what I was going to say is I was looking at the rate of the um the standings of the NHL at the moment, and it's really funny because in the Eastern Conference, 
the top six teams at the moment are um, Toronto, Boston, Toronto, the Devils, Tampa Bay, the Hurricanes, and the Rangers. And the Rangers are like, in, uh, you know, are num- basically if you'd started the playoffs today, yeah, the the Rangers would place it probably number six, right? Okay. Uh, but the Rangers have more points than everybody in the Western Conference. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, the Western Conference hockey right now is just absolutely pathetic. So it is really weak. I'm surprised. Even I mean, Colorado's not even in the fir- in first place. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's Dallas it's been and, rough. and and Vegas. <laughs> yeah, the good old Golden Knights. But um, yeah, I, like you said, I mean, at least it's been entertaining hockey. You know, when when we watch the Rangers, we watch eh, the Sabres. I mean, meh. Uh, they'll, they'll come around eventually at some point. But the, I've seen a lot of good hockey played, some entertaining stuff going on on the ice. So that's really all I can hope for, especially if I'm watching a game that I don't really care, that I'm not invested in. I just want to see good play. And there is well, some of that thing. going on. It, it's hard to, to get into again. Like I can never watch the devils because they always, even to this day, they still pr- pretty much play the trap. The, the, the devils yeah. are one of the most boring, if not the most boring team in hockey with the exception of maybe Dallas, you yep. know, they're just deadly to watch. So I, I avoided all costs. The Islanders are always a lot of fun because they play with a lot of heart and firepower, especially in long Island, because they really love the crowd and the crowd loves them back. You know, so there's there's a great sense of energy. And look, I can't discount the fact that the people at the Garden are the best. You know, they are the New York Rangers fans are incredibly passionate, you know, and they're smart hockey fans, too. You know, like they know what the hell they're talking about. And so when when the Rangers are on a roll, boy, they're that that mutual love fest, it makes it even it, it makes the fun exponentially greater. Yes, no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the only other thing that's been going on really, I mean, outside of the sports world, if you look at the news of the day, we have been, we've spent the last two weeks talking about hot air balloons. I was going to ask you, have you shot down any, uh, any, uh, un, you know. Unidentified flying something or other. I was getting ready to get my old wrist rocket out of the closet. I think I still have it from when I was like eight. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to make a very bold political statement on our show for the first time. If anyone out there seriously, seriously believes in the concept of the UFO theory. Oh, yeah. Shooting any of these things down. You really need psychiatric help and you're a fool. And yeah. please don't listen to this show. Well, they, and the, the funny part was that the first one, the one that, that got all of this started, the Chinese balloon that made its way all the way across the United States from the Aleutian Islands uh, through the middle of the country and then off the coast of North Carolina, they shot it down. They went and got the thing and dragged it out of the water. But it came right over top of Kansas City. And uh, the kind of... Um, I guess the the it's not really a conspiracy theory, but just the the kind of uh, thought about that because we started getting we were on the air when it happened and we started getting people calling in going I can see it and of course I'm sitting here going come on no you can't you don't know what you're looking at and it turned out yes they could they actually could it came over St Joseph Missouri and then kind of dipped south over the Kansas City area and then started heading east the interesting thing about that is just east of here is Whiteman Air Force Base where all of the B1 or the yeah the B2 the stealth bombers they're all based at Whiteman Air Force Base so we're pretty sure that the reason that thing overflew Kansas City is cuz it wanted to get some new pictures in of what was going on at Whiteman um i, I, I it, it surprises me a little bit that nobody's done that track yet 
You know what I mean? That nobody's plotted out exactly where it was because they figure uh, it spent a lot of time over Montana. And, you know, Montana is nothing but cows and missile silos. So go figure what it was probably looking at, right? Uh, but just to kind of draw those lines and say, okay, how many military installations did this thing fly over? And I mean, I'm sure somebody in the government has, but they sure as hell haven't told us about it. Yeah, well, that's uh, <laughs> that's another story entirely. But it's a weather um, balloon, you know, whatever. Of course. Uh, what, what, what about the one that they shot down over Canada? Oh, that that's a funny one because it turns out uh, I'm not sure if it was that one uh, because there was one that was over Lake Huron. And that's when Justin Trudeau had to give our guys the okay to go ahead and shoot. I don't know if it was that one or the one that was a couple of days later, but they figure that one of them, there happens to be, there's a hobbyist community for everything. And in the same way that you have like ham radio operators and guys who fly, uh, you know, drones and guys who fly RC airplanes and things like that, there is a community out there of people who take little tiny balloons and fly them, little Mylar balloons, and they let them go, and they have a little, underneath them, there's a little radio, like a uh, a little transponder, and attached to that are a couple of very small solar panels. So all it does is go up there and beep so that you can follow it. After you can, you know, after you can't see it anymore, you can still follow it. And they think because the at the very same time that they announced that one of the balloons had been shot down, this hobbyist group noticed that one of theirs stopped beeping. <laughs> so chances are what we shot down, at least in one of these cases, was a about a two-foot-wide Mylar balloon that was being run by some dude who just, you know, was up there trying to track it. They should start a new show called uh, Balloon Balloon Shooting Night in, in Canada. Definitely, definitely. I One of the more fascinating things that I found out about this, because as we were talking about this on the air, uh, they made a big deal over the fact that the the one that they shot down over Lake Huron or into Canada, that we had to take two Canadia, shots at remember? it. That's it. right. <laughs> Sorry, Canada. Jesus. Uh, that we had to take two shots at it because the first one missed, and that was a four hundred and seventy five thousand dollar Sidewinder missile that just missed its target. So they were like, "Oh, well, I guess we have to fire off another one of these things." And it turned out that the balloon itself was probably not very much to be worried about. But I thought, why are they wasting these missiles? Why don't they just shoot guns at it? You know, they, they have guns. What's wrong with just putting a bunch of holes in a balloon and letting it fall? Turns out they're so high up that if you plug a bullet through one of those things, the helium inside it doesn't leak out. It doesn't explode because there's not enough air pressure holding it in. So you put a hole in it and the helium just stays there. Interesting. Yeah. It was interesting, like, huh. interesting scientific side to this. Yes. You know, they probably didn't want sh want them shooting guns at it because, you know, guns kill balloons. People don't. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Well, and then there was, uh, I don't remember which one it was, whether it was big or rich. I don't know anything about those guys anyway, but one of them it was spouting off on Twitter about how, if that thing flies over my house, I'm going to shoot it. And I was like, yeah, you got you got a gun that can go up 60,000 feet, huh? Good yeah, luck good there, luck Chester. Jesus Christ. Um, but then, of course, there's the, the really serious side of things, and that's what's happening in East Pal uh, Palestine, Ohio. Oh, what an awful story. I don't know. I, you know, there's the obvious, this, this disaster, this physical disaster, this, this 
you know, this ecological disaster and the fact that people are going to become sick and they're going to die from this. Yep. You know, this could be our proverbial Chernobyl, you know. I don't care how, you know, oh, Chernobyl was it. No, no. This is that kind of seriousness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That stuff. Um, one of the main chemicals that they're worried about is vinyl chloride. It's not the only thing that they had to let off. Uh, they did that controlled. It's not a controlled burn. It's a control release. Uh, and that's what you started to see pictures of and video from people who were in the area saying, these are not storm clouds you're looking at. This is the shit coming out of that train. And I mean, you talk about an ecological disaster. Here's the real problem though. When, when you get that stuff hot, really hot, like fire hot, when it burns, obviously burning anything is going to change it chemically. But when you take vinyl chloride and a couple of the other things that are in there, you've got benzene, which is a huge carcinogen, a really nasty one. And you also, as a product of that kind of burn, um, and, and certain refrigerants will do this as well if you get them hot enough, it turns into phosgene, which is the stuff they used in World War I during the trench warfare that's now banned from warfare. The, the stuff that, that is in those clouds over Ohio is the same stuff you can't even use in war anymore. It's that bad. <sighs> You know, let's let's think about, you know, what's in the air. Yeah. What's in the soil, what's in the water, the people that live in the nearest areas to it. And then, you know, the outer lying areas. I mean, this is catastrophic, pure and simple. And I'm not going to make this a political thing, but I find it appalling that the federal government waited 10 days to just even comment on it. I am sick and tired of everybody on both sides. And this is going back decades of, well, you know, the last administration did this or didn't do this. You know what? That was the last administration. You're in office now. You're responsible. Fix it. Clean the fucking thing up. Yeah. Try and fix this as best as possible. All you're doing is fostering more political polarization and making this all about a future campaign. Pete Buttigieg is a failure. He fucked up royally during the the holidays with the whole uh, the whole uh, um, airport system disaster. Yep, and he has just done it time and time again. But this is as serious as serious can get. And I don't want to hear any more barking and whelping about well the Trump administration. Forget the Trump administration. Okay, it was a non-administration, and we all know that. You're supposed to be the ones in charge who are supposed to be fixing things yeah. and making things right for the American people, but you're not. You're not doing anything or you're just not capable of doing it. We've seen it with that that press secretary. We've seen it with him. We've seen it with the vice president who can't put a coherent sentence together if you gave her a, flat, a flashlight and a roll of duct tape to tape two words together. Enough is enough. Help the people and help, most importantly, the ecosystem out in Ohio before this gets worse. Right. What is so difficult about this? You know, the governor out there, I don't know if he's doing anything. If he's not, he's not. If he is, he is. But God damn it, the federal government should not be in, in a case like this deferring to the states. You get out there as soon as possible. I mean, for Christ's sakes, when New Jersey and New York were hit by Hurricane Sandy, Obama didn't sit around, you know, playing politics about it. He was out to Jersey first, mobilizing Chris Christie, yep. and he and then he came to New York. That's what you're supposed to do. The president did this, okay? Not some asshole who's supposed to be the the head of the 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 
the the office that or the 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 federal commission or whatever you call it that's supposed to take care of this kind of thing. Yeah. Judge is a failure, and that's all there is to it. Well, and, and on top of that, uh, what really needs to happen is that the railroad who who was running that train, because what they're saying may have caused the wreck now, and again, this is preliminary, so this could change, but in the NTSB's initial investigation into this, that what they were focusing on was a wheel bearing on one car that had apparently locked up and did enough damage when it locked up that it, it stopped the train and it jumped the track. So if that's the case, then you've got a railroad problem. You've got a maintenance problem, a really serious maintenance problem. Um, and the, the, even the, the company itself, I think it's Norfolk and Southern, that uh, was running that train, what they did in the week after as I mean, again, there's still fires there and there's still crap coming out of those cars that's going to kill people. And you got Mike DeWine, who is the governor of Ohio, who's lying about, oh, yeah, well, the water system's fine. When you have reporters going out to streams and taking a stick and stirring up the bottom of the stream and this crap just bubbles up out of it. And and Mike DeWine saying, oh, you know, the, we're, we're not worried about the water. Yeah, why don't you go drink some, Mike? Um, hey, ha- hey, have a glass on me. Hey, Mike, have you have you heard of Detroit? Yeah, exactly. So while all of that's going on, Norfolk and Southern goes to the town and says, OK, well, we'll write you a check. We'll we'll write you a check to make this right. Tw- Wonderful. All well and good. Writing a check is not going to save lives or prevent this from getting worse because we're talking about oh. now the erosion of, through time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But but it gets even better. The check that they wrote was twenty five thousand dollars. There are 5,000 people in that town, which means Norfolk and Southern handed each one of them five bucks and said, have a nice day. Are you kidding me? I mean, how, how is that company not just dismantled right now by the, by the same federal government coming in and saying, obviously you have no idea what you're doing and you just caused this huge ecological disaster. Exactly. You have failed and you must be, you must be curtailed from any further trade. Yep. And the fact that they're operating trains anywhere in the country right now is just galling. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm kind of left speechless by this. And it made me realize that this is the first time in several episodes where I actually used an expletive. You know? <laughs> That's usually my territory. That, you know? <laughs> I mean, it just it's it's infuriating and angering. And it's not, you know, for people like you and I, and, and I'm sure for other people that we know, this is not a political situation. This is a real life crisis. And yet every facet of of any branch of government or whoever is responsible in trying to help curtail, stop, clean up, save lives, they're all playing politics. Let's not go into political polarization over this. Let's get everybody to fix this somehow. Right. You right. know, if the citizens have to do it themselves, then I, I hate to say it, let them because then they know you can't rely on your, your Republican leaders or your Democrat leaders. It's pure and simple. The people of Ohio should not have to suffer for the unwillingness and laziness of two political parties. Yes. And and the thing is, if we have to argue about it and we don't have to, but if, if we just must, because this is what we do now, fine, let's argue about it. 
after it's cleaned up. Then we can bitch about whose fault it was. And then we can, you know, have all the arguments about the last administration and this administration. And we can go through all of that stuff. Clean it up first. Right. Get the job done. Hey, when 9-11 happened, did it become a big uh, political Democrat versus Republican thing? Not right away. (laughs) Everybody went right into ground zero and cleaned it up. Yep, exactly. That's all there was to it. Right. Yeah, I mean, and the... The, the same kind of heroism is still possible. It's just nobody seems to have any kind of taste for doing it anymore, which is just the worst kind of pathetic. And and frankly, a lot of that is because it's a little tiny town in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. And and at that, if as long as it's arm's length from me, then I don't want to hear about it. And that attitude is pervading right now. Uh, I wish it wasn't, but I, I think we've taught ourselves to do that. Well, certainly, you know, not to go off on a political tangent, but just, you know, speaking in a, in a, in a logical measured out manner, you know, it's the, it's that same kind of mindset why Biden took the, the obviously wrong choice for candidate for vice president. No one in the Democratic Party ever seems to stop and think about middle America because it's always about the left coast or the right coast, right. you know, what they talk about the, you know, the elitism and the snobbery. It is true. They, they, they put favoritism towards New York, Washington, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, by the way, who've all become shithole cities, pure yeah. and simple people, you know, places like Ohio, you know, uh, Minnesota, you know, Wyoming, whatever they needed somebody like an Amy Klobuchar who spoke the language because she's a native of that area, that region. She's one of them. That's how you do this the right way. But this is what we got. And this is what we're stuck with until the next election cycle. Yeah. God help us. And, yeah, so, and, and then what, DeSantis? Oh, my God. I, mean, <laughs> so, I have no idea where yeah. any of this might go. And, and I, you know, neither political party has a best or brightest. No. To be blunt. They, they there's don't, no one of, of of any merit or value. They don't even have a minor league. I mean, they're, they're, there's no farm team out there. There's, you know, who are the rising stars? Good Lord. Are there any? Is there anybody that's getting anybody excited? No. No, not at all. I mean, my, you know, like I, I, I've talked about, my cousin lives in Florida. And to be honest, she's quite fond of DeSantis and the job he's done, especially in light of the whole a COVID thing, because it seems like people down there are okay. And also more people have moved to Florida since the COVID thing happened than ever before. And we're talking about from the major cities, you know, so that, that does say a lot, but regardless, her thought is we don't want him to run for president because he's doing a good job here. Let him keep the job, keep his eye on the job that he's supposed to be doing to begin with. I can't fault that because that's exactly what it is. You ran for governor and you got reelected. Keep your job. Don't go, you know, don't be like Bill de Blasio, who is the embodiment of the biggest asshole you've ever seen in your life on every possible political level. You know, I just got elected mayor of New York City, so I'm going to go run for president and not show up to do my job for the next three to five months. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're having the same thing happen here. And, you know, full disclosure, up until fairly recently, my wife had worked for more than a decade for the Missouri Attorney General's office through a bunch of different attorneys general, Democrats and Republicans. And she said what was going on is that each one was getting subsequent uh, was was getting progressively worse to the point where the last idiot that was in there was just an absolute disaster, because what happened was 
somebody made it from the attorney general's office to the Senate. And then everybody started looking at that job going, oh, that's how I get elected to the Senate. I become attorney general first. So that's what they did. And it became the same thing. They, they kept asking these guys, you know, Candor and all of the rest of them. And they, and they said, look, uh, or not Candor, the other guy, um, uh, his name's escaping me. Anyway, uh, they, they kept asking them when they were running, are you going to stay a full term and do the job or are you going to run for Senate? And to a man, every one of them said, oh, no, I'm going to stay and, and do that. I want to be the attorney general in Missouri. I don't want to run for Senate. And every single one of them lied about it and ran for Senate. And it's it's pathetic. It's awful. But, you know, I, I guess people haven't caught on to when people answer that question. They're lying. There's still time to install me into the White House as a malevolent <laughs> dictator for life, and I will clean up this mess. I have a car. I have a shovel. I have a gun. I doubt most of you will be missed. And there you go. I didn't write that line, by the way, folks. That comes from the movie Clueless. So there. You can't come at me. You can try, but you can't come at me. I didn't write it. Uh, on on the pop culture front, uh, I'm only about 15 years late to this one, but we finally started watching Breaking Bad. So, hello, dear. Hello, 2005. Especially with the fact that they just did a Breaking Bad commercial for, <laughs> for the some Super Bowl. Crappy ch- it's like, what the hell? It's like, you mean to tell me you've, you've lowered your standards to this? Yep. By the way, you're both dead. So how are you suddenly <laughs> back? And, and, oh, well, we got better, you know. Right. Yeah, spoiler. Thanks a now, lot, if, buddy. if they would have had big blood stains on their, uh, on their, their, their cooking outfits. That would have been much, much better. Or playing Badfinger in the background. That's right. Or do a crossover between Breaking Bad and the other show that I didn't watch, uh, The Walking Dead. And, 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 you know, and just have zombie Heisenberg and and zombie Pinkman (laughs) and have them come out. It would make sense. You know, they are dead. Man, The Walking Dead was one that was like interesting for about five minutes and that was it. You know, if I want zombies, I'll watch Zombieland. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, the second well, the second Zombieland, actually, because if you've seen Zombieland one and Zombieland Double Tap, Double Tap stands alone as an incredibly brilliantly funny movie for all time. It is such an under the wire piece of comedic genius. There isn't one weak link in that film. Woody Harrelson is just Woody Harrelson is a marvel. Yes. With his hateful comedy style. But the whole the whole cast works so well. I mean, it's like it, watching both movies is like night and day because you're like, Jesus, Zombieland is OK, but Double Tap is so much better because you're laughing almost from the minute it starts. Right. You know, so many brilliant, pithy one liners. And you know that there was a lot of improv that was left in there. That they couldn't think it was just too good to cut it out. Oh, yeah. And I mean, how many great movie scenes have been like that? And, you know, we found out later, oh, yeah, they improv that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it's so, you know, zombies are not my bag. That's the short version of it. You know, it never, never really was my thing. Um, I don't remember the last time I watched any TV series, uh, any kind of network television you know, I, I all I watch now when I'm watching uh, something that isn't either a movie or sports because I don't watch as much TV as I used to. Yeah. Uh, they're usually the, the quote real life police procedurals, you know, things that are on A&E like um, 
the first 48, which we've talked about, especially during the pandemic, was like a, a sustainer for me every day. The ID network, you know, um, there's also a new show that that or it's I think the second season of uh, on A&E called Accused, Guilty or Innocent, uh, real life, um, real life crimes and the preparation for trial and the trials themselves and what happened. Oh, cool. Know? OK. Yeah, it, um, that's the kind of thing that we're we're watching a lot of documentaries, crime documentaries and things like that, because, again, that's what my wife does for a living. Not crime, but <laughs> actually on the on the good guy side of things. Um, Come on, Archie, let's go do some crime. <laughs> that's right. Let's go do some criming. Uh, but, yeah, it, it there, there is some good stuff out there. Uh, we watched – what did we just start? Oh, we just started the, the three-part documentary on – that schmuck down in South Carolina, uh, Murdoch, the the lawyer who uh, is on trial now for killing his wife and son, and the, the guy that tried to have himself offed. Uh, it's just it's such a crazy story, and I, it, the funny part about it is that because it's so salacious, and because you know there's so many allegations about did he kill the housekeeper? Did his son kill the housekeeper before the dad killed the son allegedly? Or you know what what happened here? And it all came to a head because he tried to hire some guy to kill him, figuring that if he committed suicide, that his other son wouldn't inherit his, you know, the millions and millions of dollars that this family has amassed. And uh, and that failed. So it, it, it's all those little details. But what gets lost in all of that is that this guy never would have been able to put together this you know, supposed reign of terror if it if the South wasn't still the old South, where your name and your money and your prestige mean everything. And you find these little fiefdoms all over the place down there where if you are the you know the, the number one lawyer in town or whatever it is, that you you have everybody so cowed that nobody will ever cross you. And that's who this guy is. Um, and and the fact that he was able to do all of this without anybody ever seriously challenging him, right up until the point where the story got insane and there was already a trail of bodies leading up to him, that says something else that, that really needs to be taken care of and yet don't expect it because they like it that way. You know, They like having those kinds of powerful people around that they can look up to right up until they fall. Now, there's a couple of things that we should bring up because we are talking about media. Um, Chris Cuomo's con uh, comments, I I'm sure you caught that recently. Actually, I didn't. What did he do now? He said, uh, I, I may misquote it, so I'm not giving a verbatim quote, but he was something like, uh, you know, it had to do with his, his, I guess, his firing from CNN. I wanted to kill myself and everybody else here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a terroristic look, threat. Why is he not in jail? Because I'm pretty sure that was the quote, as close to the quote as I can get. So if I'm misquoting, I'm, again, I'm saying full disclaimer. I'm, I'm just remembering what I'd read in passing, and thinking, and nobody's called this guy to the carpet yet. And then there's, of course, dickhead Don Lemon with his comments about oh. Nikki Haley the other day. Uh -huh. I don't give a goddamn what your political stance is. You of all people, keep your fucking mouth shut. Okay. Yes, Mister. I grabbed a guy's junk and didn't think that there was going to be any kind of repercussions for it. Uh, he, I have said this for 15 years now. You know this. Don Lemon is an embarrassment as a journalist. Yes, he is. He's, he's also an asshole. Oh, yeah. And, and we found that out, too. I mean, 
right before he made the comments about Nikki Haley. And, and if you don't know what the fallout from that was, uh, one of he, he was on that show with two women. <laughs> so he's got Caitlin Collins on one side of him. And I'm trying to remember who the other one was. And I can't uh, blonde haired woman, excellent reporter for whatever reason, her name is just escaping my brain right now, but she was the one who initially called him on it. Cause he said, you know, well, she's past her prime. And immediately the anchor to his right said, what do you mean prime? What is that? And he started trying to, you know, cover himself and all of this. And she was not having any of it. And reportedly, as soon as that segment was over, she got up and walked off, which is exactly what she should have done. Um, and, and, you know, he was off the air on Friday and apparently had to apologize in a conference call and all of this stuff. But that was about a week after another reported incident where uh, he, he got to a break in the show and started laying into Caitlin Collins. And I mean, hard laying into her to the point where she was reportedly in tears and, you know, and, and there was no fallout from that. So all of a sudden the Nikki Haley thing happens and they, that they couldn't ignore because it happened on the air. But you don't do that. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money they're paying you or how important you think you are, little man. You do not treat your coworkers that way, ever. It's unacceptable. And, and you know, he's not even good. That's the part about it I don't understand is he's not good at what he does. So why the hell is he still there? Because you know how, how media works nowadays. Kowtowing is always the way. So yeah. an asshole like him can keep his job. Why is Chris Cuomo even on the air? At, at, uh, I guess it's the revamped WGN News, you know, that that new network that they, they created out of the WGN Super Channel, News News Night or something. It's, I forgot yeah. the name of the channel. It, it, it's come on. Why is he on the air? Why is he being allowed to speak? You know, CNN is a criminal joke. It's a it's it's a people fall for it. People buy into CNN. People think CNN's words are gospel. Well, guess what? CNN is as equally bad as Fox News. Let us not make any misinterpretations. When you watch Fox, you watch CNN, you're getting the same thing from both sides because they're all lying. They're all incompetent. They don't know the first thing about actual journalism, let alone investigative journalism. They are all unprofessional. Right. Every last one of them. You know, yeah. And, and th my last thing was I, I saw uh, this. I mean, I, I don't watch that shit show, uh, the the View, but apparently, <laughs> neither do I. There's always there's always some kind of nonsense that goes on on that show. But apparently, that big mouth slob Joy Behar, who just loves to take pock shots because she thinks she's so above it all and a doyen of everything, was. Pretty much, you know, saying talking shit about Tulsi Gabbard and refer to her as, you know, a useful idiot for the Russians. Right. Surprise, surprise. They booked Tulsi Gabbard onto the show. Tulsi Gabbard called her out nice. right there on the show saying, how dare you? Basically saying, how dare you? I'm a soldier for the last 16 years. You know, when when after 9-11 happened, I enlisted. This apparently happened a little while ago, so I'm really not sure of the timeline. I apologize for not having, you know, the the dates and so on and so forth. But the long and short of it is finally somebody called her called her out. And hopefully that, that the you know, 
it'll get that show off the air because the most egregious thing is that that show is under the banner of ABC News. <laughs> oh, you mean Walt Disney? Yeah, well, anyhow, that's, the, you know, that's that's the long and short of everything. So uh, it's been quite a tumultuous month when it comes to watching news and trying not to get one's blood pressure, you know, to rise too exponentially, too quickly. No, and, and I mean, the fact of the matter is, even at the local level, uh, and I mean, yeah. we could do hours on this and we won't, but even at the local level, it's so bad. I mean, the, the media landscape is horrible. And I'm not one of these people, I mean, I make my living on the radio talking about what's going on in the news. But, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, again, this is nothing political. This isn't, oh, the, it's too slanted to the left or it's too slanted to the right. It's not that. It's just bad reporting. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my on-air partner and I try to get into a story and try to, you know, hit all the angles. And then we hit this glaring hole in the middle of the story where the one question that needs to be answered isn't even addressed. And it's like, okay, we don't know the answer to this because the friggin' reporter didn't ask anybody because the, the word of the day is cheap and cheap is kids right out of college. If they even made it through college, which I didn't either, by the way. So, you know, whatever, but you know, the, the, they get these kids who don't know the job, don't know what they're doing, have had no training and have nobody to look up to because the people that they used to have to look up to have been fired 20 years ago because they made too much money and they wonder why record reporting is crap. And that's why, because nobody knows how to do the job. Frankly, it's also evident that, you know, younger reporters don't even know how to speak and present because they, they're they all, I mean, I'm sorry, but you had to have a sense of poise and diction and elocution when you're on the air reporting something and they can barely read. Yes, they exactly. They certainly can't spell, you know, because everybody's busy spelling things out in text speak. It's all L-O-L-L-M-A-O, you know. <laughs> right. Wait, and the thing is, the newspapers didn't die off because of the Internet. The newspapers died off because there was no more reason to read them. I wish the New York Times would die off already, <laughs> quite frankly, because yeah. that that that's a foul scandal rag of, of – of, they've whored themselves to such lower – they're just as bad as the National Enquirer. It's that simple, you know. Yep. But again, I digress as far as, you know, the uh, the whole concept of the fourth estate. Well, uh, yeah, and the, the Cuomo quote you were looking for, by the way, is, I wanted to kill everybody, including myself. And nobody's taken him to task about that. Nobody's, you know. No. Oh, Fredo. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, just very quickly, I mean, in New York, the shit show still continues, so don't ask. That's that's the short version. Oh, that's right. We, yeah, we never got around to that. And because here... now, of course, you know, just to, to give you a very quick glimpse, because we'd be here for another couple of hours, uh, Eric Adams is now completely backpedaling on everything he said about, you know, New York being a sanctuary city. He's like, we're having problems with having all these, these you know, migrants bust here. Huh. Uh, you opened the doors. You said this was a sanctuary city. And now look at the mess you've made. Congratulations. You are equally as much of an asshole as your predecessor was. Congratulations, yep. Mayor Fuck-Up number two. <laughs> there you go. Well, I think that's, that's probably a good spot to leave it because what we can do is we can make our next get-together all sweetness and light. <laughs> we will have nothing but good feelings and we'll we'll bring out our acoustic guitars and sing Kumbaya all over the place. Why, will we be eating hash brownies? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I could hook you up. I, they just legalized Dude. dope. They, they just legalized. <laughs> 
legalized dope in Missouri. So yeah, I mean, we could do that. And you've, I mean, you're in New York. It's been legal there for a year. It has. <laughs> That's what I heard anyway. I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he doesn't do drugs. So remember that kids. <laughs> I have, I, excuse me, mister. I bet plays here, miss snake in the grass, but I haven't touched <laughs> drugs, you know, in the recreational sense since I was, well, actually, um, uh, huh. Yeah. Wait, 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 no, I got, I got to think about it. I, Smoked a joint and got very paranoid when I was 33 was the last time. 10 wow. years after I had first become paranoid from it. See, now I understand the problem. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, I cannot say that I haven't smoked a joint. <laughs> I haven't smoked a joint since I was 53. And you're how old now? 53. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to go get high now. I mean, I tried because of, of stress and all that stuff. I tried uh, one of those CBD gummies, and it did – it was a couple of years ago. It did seem to work, but it also gave me really bad acid acid reflux. Oh, that's not cool. So, yeah, so I mean – but the thing was I wanted to make sure that it was the kind that didn't have any THC in it. So I, d I did the research, bought it, and it, you know, it worked for the time that I needed it, and that was fine. You know, you just have one in the evening and just – relax. Well, one of, one of my favorite stories of the week actually came out of, I'm now trying to remember where it was. Um, it might've been Massachusetts. One of the States up there, you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Delaware, somewhere up in that neck yeah, of the Rhode woods. Island, man, you bastard. <laughs> That's right. They had a law on the books that they're now trying to repeal that says that it's illegal to have more than three people together smoking marijuana. So if there's two of you, you're okay passing it back and forth. But if there's three of you, that's against the law. And I was trying to figure out in what world would that law ever make sense? Why, why two and not three? Why is getting more people together to smoke a bad idea? Beats me. <laughs> so, All I can say is do not Bogart that joint, my friend. That's right. And <laughs> pass the duchy upon the left-hand side. So, you know, got to keep that one in mind, too. rules the nation. <laughs> Musical. Regression. Regression. <laughs> Musical youth, baby. Oh. By the way, here's just one for you that you're going to dig. We were driving home today from grocery shopping, and on the Beatles channel, they actually played the original version of Got My Mind Set on You. Really? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Have you actually heard that 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 original version? Yeah, it's uh, the guy's name it, is Barry, uh, Richard Barry, I think. Uh, I forgot his name, but all I can say is this: it's a very jolly. It's uh, not calypsoy, but it's got more of like a Latin flavor to it yes. than anything. It's really long, by the way. Right. Uh, I think you know uh, George must have cut like I don't know two or three verses out of it. There is, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, it's it's the same deal again. Like, a kind of, I mean, the Weird Al version of that is this song is just six words long, but um, yeah, it, it goes back into the bridge a couple of times in the original version, which was, I mean, that was the forty-five era. That was nineteen sixty-one or sixty-two, I think. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, to have a song that was that long was kind of a rarity. Everything else was like two minutes and fifteen seconds, but it is good, um, and I can see why. You know, George did it right. He picked out a song that was a good, solid song that never really went anywhere. Yeah. So that's what you do. I mean, you take something like that and you update it and you make it right. You don't take a song that everybody knows. I mean, how many people have done Yesterday? It's the most re-recorded song in history. And yet, name one other than the Beatles that's really good. 
Matt Monroe. Okay, one. <laughs> because he made it very dramatic, which it is. Yeah. It is a dramatic song, but, you know, that was his stock and trade, you know? Sure. But, you know, it's kind of ironic that, you know, Harrison's two biggest hits were both covers, you know? Got my mind set on you and my sweet lord. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which technically, yeah, was uh, oh who was Lang Doodle? Yeah, it was he so fine. Which was the not the Marvelettes. Who was it? Uh, the chiffons. Chiffons. Yes. Well done. Well done, sir. But yeah, that uh, kind of gives <laughs> us some direction. I've got a couple of different ways to go for our next in our heads, which, by the way, will happen on the next episode of the program. So uh, yeah, we'll go back into that because I also happen to be listening to the Beatles channel a little bit uh, over the weekend, and uh, it was the the bit that Randy Bachman does with his little brother, um, and they were talking about Bungalow Bill and the fact that. You know, you had artists who would, who really understood what the purpose of making music was. And it's to make people feel, not necessarily to make people feel good. There's a lot of great music that doesn't make you feel good, but it's to make you feel. And part of that is the more different emotions that you can put into that pastiche, the better off you're going to be. And so you would have bands. You know, Led Zeppelin did Hot Dog. Uh, the Beatles did Bungalow Bill and, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, all these different songs that were fun and goofy and funny and weird. The embodiment of that, without question, is You Know My Name, Look Up the Number. Yes, exactly. Which is actually one of my favorite Beatles tracks, it has to be said, because it's just... So goddamn funny. So we'll go into that. That will definitely be our, in our heads for the next time around. And uh, and with that, Rob Ross, unless there's anything else you have to add in? No, just I would like to say, as always, to our audience, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for giving us six years of a lot of fun. And uh, we'll see you for another six for sure. Unless I drop dead first. A little luck. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, um, but, you know, as always, thank you very much. And uh, keep listening. Keep you know, emailing and, and telling us what you're really digging about the show and uh, hope we make you think and relax for a little bit. So we will talk to you all very soon. Mm-hmm.